Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Happy Monday. We are in the second week of Lent, February 19, 2024. Great to be with you. Hope you had a good and fruitful first Sunday of Lent, and we're so excited that you're joining us here on EWTN, and I'm very excited about our guests, as I always am. We have, right after the news and our short break, we are going to be talking to a wonderful priest. You know him well. He's so great, just a great communicator, has a lot of really good stuff on Ascension and other outlets. He is in the Diocese of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. His name is Father Josh Johnson. Now, he's phenomenal in his own right in terms of the work he's doing in his area, but he's also going to be joining us for the Good News Cruise next January. But this morning we're going to focus on an event that's a little bit closer in terms of the timeline. He is going to be coming up to northern Michigan this summer along with the amazing Dr. Scott Hahn and Kimberly Hahn and our very own Father John Mercado for a beautiful, beautiful event that has become annual. And we did a live broadcast from the Grand Hotel last year. We're doing the same this year, God willing. It's called the Grand Hotel Getaway. And many people have already signed up, and we want you to find out about it because it's a great way to spend part of your summer vacation. It's toward the end of July, and it's after the Congress, so you still have time if you're going to be in Indiana, driving to Indiana for the Congress, you'll still be able to make the event for the Grand Hotel Getaway. It's such a unique event, and it's one of those things that reminds you that you are not alone and that lifting up family and faith and marriage and beautiful teaching do make a difference in this crazy world of ours. We had a great example of that last night. We had our annual World Marriage Day dinner. Now, we did it a week after World Marriage Day, which was February 11th because of the Super Bowl. And we had a great turnout, some 400 people. And we do this every year. We've been doing this for some 24 years in the Archdiocese of Detroit. And there are other events, similar events around the country. But this is one that Deacon Dominic and I uh, truly support because we actually gave our testimony for the very first time at this dinner, like I think, what was it, 22 years ago. And the organization, the support we received, the love we felt, and the influence they're having on marriages, because this brings together all the different marriage ministries. We have Marriage Encounter, Retrovi, Engaged Encounter. So it's an opportunity to support these amazing uh, ministries that are changing lives and saving marriages, but then also just to come together and have a good time and laugh and dance and enjoy great speakers. And that's what the Grand Hotel Getaway is all about. And the setting, it also gives you an opportunity to enjoy, you know, I'm very proud of my state, especially in the summertime with the water. If you've never been to northern lower Michigan, the cool thing about it is you can do like an extension. Afterward, maybe if you want to see other parts of Michigan, you are right in between northern lower Michigan and the UP, the Upper Peninsula. And so you've got some great options to make it a truly wonderful summer vacation. You can go to Whitefish Point for the beautiful uh, Mariner's Museum there. You can go up to the Root Beer Falls, as we call them, to Quamanon Falls. You can go to the Gold Coast of Michigan. If you hold up your hand and look at your pinky finger just up that area, you've got Harbor Springs and Charlevoix and Petoskey and so many beautiful places, the sand dunes, Traverse City, wineries. There's a whole mini peninsula that has all kinds of wineries. And we've found over the years that many people have done that. And last year we had people from across the country and a whole group from Texas who couldn't get over how pleasant the summer weather was in Michigan without the humidity, especially on Mackinac Island. But most importantly, you're going to be inspired and uplifted by great speakers and teachers and priests, including the wonderful Father Josh Johnson and Father John Ricardo as well. But Father Josh is joining us at 15 minutes past the hour. We'll talk about other things as well. Uh, he's just an incredible presenter, and he is just going to, I think, uplift us with why we need to be together and support each other in various events. Then we're going to take a look at what's happening in healthcare because of the situation with the left's extreme so-called gender-affirming therapies. You know, just the language to me, is so interesting in terms of the semantics of how they're always framing this. You can see this in the abortion industry where they talk about reproductive care or they talk about choice, so women's right to choose. This language is very, very specific, and there is a very organized effort behind it. I'm going to talk about this this weekend. I'm speaking at the Pro-Life Federation of Pennsylvania, their big pro-life fundraiser on Sunday. If you'd like to join us, there's still seats available. I'd love to see you there. 
But this is what the culture and the media do. They pound us continually with these messages, and then they suppress other information about how these so-called therapies are helping kids when they're actually harming them. And we had the recent findings, and Catholic News Agency did a huge story on this, if you remember. I think this was back in January or maybe late December. A study done by the American College of Pediatrics revealing the so-called gender-affirming therapies. Guess what? Who knew? Well, they did know. It's coming out now, though, drip by drip, that those so-called therapies have not benefited adolescents who are struggling with gender dysphoria. Rather, it's hurting them. And the same for these so-called transitioning surgeries. So we'll talk with Chris Fattis from Solidarity Healthcare about the impact this is having on families. There's also a lead story that we have, and one of the lead stories we have in the news this morning about this out of Indiana, but also the impact that it's having on healthcare in terms of the pressure to include this type of, uh, I don't even want to call it medicine, into healthcare coverage. And then since it's a Monday, we will wrap up with Gail Buckley and our Bible verse of the week. All right, weather-wise, all eyes are on California. They have heavy rain that could cause more flooding along the central coast. And this is according to the National Weather Service. Severe thunderstorms, they say, are posing a threat for hail, damaging wind gusts, and isolated tornadoes across parts of California, mainly in the southern region and also the Sacramento Valley. And they're also saying there could be a few feet of snow falling over the Sierra Nevada area. And then a warming trend is expected across the Great Plains and the Mississippi Valley. So if you're heading out west, be careful. There's still some crazy weather occurring. It is a Monday. You're listening to the one, the only EWTN. So appreciate your listenership. Check it out at EWTN.com, all the affiliates and all the great work we do. And also our co-producer, Ave Maria Radio at AveMariaRadio.net. Seven minutes past the hour on a Monday, second week of Lent. Let's get started with the news. Catholic News Agency is reporting the pastor of St. Pat's Cathedral in Manhattan said the church has offered now a mass of reparation after a controversial irreverent service was held last week for a well-known transgender advocate. The Manhattan Cathedral hosting on February 15th a funeral service for a man who identified as a woman and called himself Cecilia Gentili, also an activist who helped to decriminalize sex in New York, sex work in New York, and lobbied for gender identity to be added as a protected class to the state's human rights laws also a major fundraiser for transgender causes. Over the weekend, Father Enrique Salvo, the pastor of St. Pat, saying in a very strong statement on the website of the Archdiocese of New York that church officials shared in the outrage over the scandalous behavior of a funeral there at St. Pat's. They said the cathedral only knew that family and friends were requesting a funeral mass for a Catholic, and they had no idea that the welcome and prayer would be degraded in such a sacrilegious and deceptive manner. Salva went on to say that such a scandal occurred at America's parish church makes it worse that it took place as Lent was beginning, the annual 40-day struggle with the forces of sin and darkness. It's a potent reminder, he added, how much we need the prayer, reparation, repentance, grace, and mercy to which the Holy Season invites us. An Indiana Catholic husband and wife are petitioning the high court to hear their case, as CNA explains, after the state government removed their child from their home after he began identifying as transgender. Mary and Jeremy Cox, refusing to accept Catholic News Agency, explains their son's self-declared female identity some five years ago, and instead they sought therapy to address what they saw as underlying mental health concerns. Now, back in 2021, the state's government began investigating the Cox family after learning they refused to address their son by his chosen identity. The government subsequently removed their son from their home, placing him in another home that affirmed his transgender beliefs. Last week, the Beckett Fund, though, for Religious Liberty, announcing that Mary and Jeremy Cox did file a petition with the Supreme Court asking the high court to hold the state accountable for keeping their child out of their home. And a significant setback for the Sonata Way project in Germany, the German bishops will not be voting on a step toward a forbidden council at their upcoming assembly at the Vatican's request. The German bishops' conference and the spokesperson confirming, according to Catholic News Agency, that the bishops have removed a vote 
on endorsing a committee that is preparing the council, a synodal council, a mixed body of laity and bishops that would govern the church in Germany. And they removed that item from their agenda of their event, which begins today. Development comes after they received a letter from the Vatican on the very same day. Joel Olstein's Houston megachurch held Sunday services a week after a woman opened fire in the sanctuary with a rifle. As a church, we could shrink back. It's dangerous. Let's hide our light. Let's just go under the radar. But this is a time to shine brighter than ever. Genesee Moreno was shot and killed by off-duty law enforcement officers at Lakewood Church last week, and her seven-year-old son was also shot, but it's not clear by whom he remains in critical condition. Billed as a special service of healing, Osteen told the cheering congregation, God has us covered. And two Minnesota police officers and a paramedic were shot and killed while responding to a domestic abuse call early yesterday. Burnsville Police Chief Tanya Swartz expressing her sorrow. Every day... We pray that they go home to their families. And today, that's not happening. We are all hurting. Law enforcement sources say the suspected gunman died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Police say the suspect had several guns and opened fire from multiple points in his home about 50 miles south of Minneapolis. There were seven children inside that house at the time. All were reported safe. Most Americans are unhappy with how the Biden administration is handling the influx of immigrants. That's according to new information from the Pew Research Center. Pew surveyed over 5,000 people, finding only 18% of them said the U.S. is doing a very good or somewhat good job of dealing with the influx of migrants at the southern border. The information, the data also finding 57% of respondents said the current situation at the border was leading to an influx in crime in the country. Neighbors in Queens, New York, protesting a proposed shelter for homeless men that will be located in a nearby park. Folks are worried the shelter will lead to a potential increase in crime and businesses in the neighborhood shutting down. People are angry. There's a park literally right down the street. There are schools around here. People are afraid of what's going to happen when the shelter opens up. Officials are talking about making a local Wyndham Hotel a homeless shelter for around 100 single men beginning next month. It's unclear whether the men being housed at the shelter would be from the city's homeless population or migrants. Senator Lindsey Graham says he's very optimistic that a House proposal related to the southern border and aid to Ukraine and Israel can be passed by Congress. Let's go back to remain in Mexico as a border security policy, not released in the United States, and secondly, uh, to reinstitute Title 42. Speaking on CBS's Face the Nation yesterday, the South Carolina Republican referring to a proposal from the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus, co-chaired by Pennsylvania Republican Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick and New Jersey Democratic Congressman Josh Gottmeyer, and Graham saying the aid package will be reduced to $60 billion. Graham suggesting it should be a loan. Graham also said he believes that would get through the House and pick up enough votes in the Senate as well. Former President Donald Trump back on the campaign trail this weekend. He spoke at a Get Out the Vote rally in Michigan where he called America a nation in decline. Republicans must win. If you want to save America, then you must vote. You must go and vote. Remember, the primary is Tuesday, February 27th. We need you to get out and vote to set the stage for November. The rally coming just one day after he was ordered to pay a $355 million penalty in his New York civil fraud trial. Trump criticizing both Nikki Haley and Joe Biden during his speech, saying Haley is wildly unpopular and claiming Biden has made the country a laughing stock. Michael Kastner tells us American forces dealing with Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in the Red Sea say they've struck an underwater drone for the first time. U.S. Central Command says the undersea drone was struck on Saturday during a series of self-defense strikes in waters near Yemen. CENTCOM said they determined the targets presented an imminent threat to U.S. Navy ships and merchant vessels in the region. Houthis have been attacking ships in the Red Sea in protest against the Israel-Hamas war and claim to be going after ships with links to Israel. As we mentioned in the weather, nearly all of California under a flood watch as another atmospheric river rolls in off the coast. Michelle Grossman, meteorologist, has more. We have millions under alerts this morning, 15 million under wind alerts, 35 under flood alerts, 1 million under winter alerts. So the winter is not done in the west. The state is still saturated from the last powerful storm system that swept in off the Pacific, which dumped record amounts of rain in the area. The Weather Prediction Center issuing an excessive rain outlook for most of California through tomorrow. 
And speaking of the weather, the Daytona 500 was postponed over the weekend. NASCAR making that official call yesterday morning with rain in the forecast all day. The Great American Race will be instead run at Daytona International Speedway. That will happen at 4 p.m. Eastern Time today. Fifteen minutes past the hour. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Catholic Connection, co-produced by EWTN and Ave Maria Radio. The amazing and the very, very articulate and interesting and fun and uplifting Father Josh Johnson joins us up next on a busy Monday. We're so glad you're listening to EWTN. Stay tuned. Ave Maria Radio invites you to feast on the joy of fasting this Lenten season and all year long. Fast from judging. Feast on loving. Fast from noise. Feast on silence. Fast from differences. Feast on unity. Fasting is a part of true Christian life. It liberates us from this world as we grow closer to Christ. The Catholic Church teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. St. John the Apostle records the John chapter 6 Bread of Life Discourse in which Jesus states that His flesh is true food and His blood true drink. Who better to understand John's writings and subsequent teachings than a disciple and student of John, St. Ignatius of Antioch? In his letter to the Smyrnians in 110 A.D., Ignatius writes, I have no taste for corruptible food, nor for the pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ. And for drink, I desire His blood, which is love incorruptible. The Catholic Church absolutely follows St. John and St. Ignatius in taking Jesus at His word. Examining the truths of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. When the need for senior care arises, home is where the heart is. Visiting Angels provides home care for mom or dad up to 24 hours per day, including personal care, meals, and light housework. You may select your professional caregiver with Visiting Angels. More information at visitingangels.com or at 877-374-LIVE. That's 877-374-LIVE. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Great to catch up with Father Josh Johnson. He's the Director of Vocations of the Diocese of Baton Rouge and also a pastor at Sacred Heart Parish there. And Father, I'm so excited that you're coming up north this summer. I know you're going to be at the Congress as well, the Eucharist Congress, but you've never been to Mackinac Island, have you? Good morning. Thanks for joining us. I've only seen pictures, and it looks so cool. (laughs) It is. It's really quite beautiful. So let's first of all start, why events like this, whether it be the Eucharistic Congress or the Grand Hotel Getaway, why we need to take time out to be with like-minded believers, do you think? That's a great that's a great question. I mean, I think that we need to be filled up. You know, we live in, in such a chaotic world that it's important for us to get fed so that we can go back out into the world and evangelize. Everyone's called to be an evangelist. Everyone's called to evangelize, not just priests and nuns, every person by virtue of their baptism. Uh, but in order to evangelize well, we need to have these getaways, these retreats, these conferences where we can just get filled up with the Spirit, be encouraged by other brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, and then go back out into the world, uh, in a messy, broken world, and share the gospel. Yeah, yeah. You know, these are really, and this came up last night, Deacon Dom and I MC a beautiful World Marriage Day dinner every year, and we had it late this year because obviously the Super Bowl was on uh, the World Marriage Day, official World Marriage Day in the church last Sunday. But our speakers were talking about events like, like this, like the World Marriage Day dinner that we do every year here in the Archdiocese of Detroit or the Grand Hotel Getaway or the Eucharistic Congress. These are all countercultural events, and I thought, wow, that's quite a statement, isn't it? it they are, and they're also catered towards the family, right? The family, mm-hmm. this is Alia Fatima, she said that the attack of our time would be against the family. And what I love about this, uh, this trip that you and I will be doing in Mackinac Island is geared toward the entire family. It's not just a men's retreat or a women's retreat or a youth retreat. It's the whole family is invited to come and get filled up. And I really think that going forward as a church, we've got to like, focus our catechesis and our evangelization and our discipleship efforts on the entire family together. 
Yeah, yeah. So the Grand Hotel Getaway is July 22nd through the 24th, and you get uh, two nights at the Grand Hotel, which is phenomenal, meals and access to all the beautiful grounds, including the amazing pool. But in addition to that, you're on the island, and you're just it's so peaceful in the middle of the water, the Straits of Mackinac, gorgeous time of year, and it's just a great, great time. So it's July 22nd to the 24th. Grand Hotel Getaway, you can find out more information on my website at the events section, but also just going to Ave Maria's website, our travel section, or ctscentral.net. So, Father, in your work as a vocation director, do you talk about, I'm sure you do when you're working with uh, seminarians, the importance of supporting families? How does that build into your vocation awareness efforts? Oh, my gosh. Well, yes. I mean, we. (laughs) I, I try to plug my seminarians into relationship with families as well. Uh, because I want them to, to see holy families. Because for me, even as a priest, some of my greatest um, inspiration as a fragment as of the church, like I learned how to be a good father and a good spouse of the church by being around good dads who are great husbands to their wives. And so I think it's important for some parents like see that lived witness of like this is what, what they're living in their vocation and what we're called to live as, as priests for our parishes, being faithful to our parishes, uh, only speaking well about our parishes. Uh, serving our parishes, dying to ourselves for our parishes. And so it's, it's of the utmost importance, I think, for our seminarians to be plugged into relationships with holy families. Yeah. We're talking with Father Josh Johnson, vocation director, of course, for the Diocese of Baton Rouge and the pastor of Sacred Heart Parish in Baton Rouge, also known from his great work that he does on Ascension Press, talking about the faith. Uh, Father, when did you first feel the call, uh, the tug on your heart, to uh, discern the priesthood? Yeah, I reluctantly went to a conference called Superville South in 2004. <laughs> I did not want to go, but a friend of mine invited me, and she kept inviting me. And so I finally said yes. And on June 26, 2004, at 8 o'clock p.m. on Saturday night in Alexandria, Louisiana, Bishop Sam Jacobs exposed the Eucharist for adoration. At that time, I did not believe that the Eucharist was Jesus. I thought it was a piece of bread. Uh, but the Lord gave me the grace during adoration to believe that this really is Jesus. And I... I had an encounter with the Lord where I fell in love with God, and I perceived God loved me in that time of prayer. And it was during that time of prayer that the thought of the priesthood first came to my mind. I quickly rejected that thought, uh, but I also knew after that conference that I wanted to be in a personal relationship with Christ in the Eucharist, and so I started going to adoration every day. Mm. And I would just spend time with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. We had a preparation chapel in my diocese, and I would go there literally every day, and just sit with the Lord, and the more time I spent with God in the chapel, the more I fell in love with Jesus. And even though I did not want to be a priest, I could not stop thinking about the priesthood. I thought about it almost every day. My friends, they saw me go to the chapel a lot, so they began to ask me questions. Are you thinking about the priesthood? I didn't want to hear that question, but I kept hearing it almost every day. When I met seminarians or priests, I would get excited. I did not want to be excited, but I couldn't <laughs> deny the fact that I was getting excited when I was around seminarians and priests. And so finally I decided, I think I should probably just go to seminary to figure this whole thing out. I don't know if I'm called to be a priest, um, but Jesus, I love you, and I think you want me to go, so I'll go. And I went to seminary, and that's when I figured out that the Lord was indeed called me to be a priest. Well, just just in the in the brief summary of of your your journey to the priesthood, the first thing you mentioned was that you were invited to an event, and this is yeah. what we're talking about, right? Inviting someone, yeah. bringing yourself, inviting your family, inviting your friends to an event to learn more about the faith. I mean, most most of our seminarians uh, across the nation, they will acknowledge that, uh, I mean, outside of being office servers and stuff like that, that they went to an event, and it was at an event, a conference, a retreat, where they were able to perceive the call. And so uh, events like the ones that you and I are doing together this summer, back in the island, you see Congress, uh, the cruise, all these that we're doing, these are places and spaces where sometimes when we get away from our comfort zone and we leave everything that we know where the Lord can actually speak directly to us and we can hear His voice and perceive our call, our invitation, and how He wants us to be holy. Amen. And we're talking this morning specifically, of course, Father Josh is doing a number of events uh, this year and beyond. He's going to be on the Good News Cruise next January. But this morning, just reminding you, because we have a window, I want you to make sure that you don't miss this, the Grand Hotel Getaway, the Grand Getaway for 2024, July 22nd through the 24th, and Father John Mercado, Father Josh Johnson, and wait, I think you've heard of this couple before, Father. They may be somewhat familiar. Scott and Kimberly Hahn, you've heard of them, right? They're, they're, well, you and your husband are, are pretty awesome, too. But, yes, Scott and Hahn and Kimberly <laughs> will be there. And I'll tell you, Scott gave a talk. I was at Sea Conference in January, and uh, Scott and I gave a talk. And it just, it was I know. so beautiful. Like, God is so anointed. Um, I could listen to him for hours. <laughs> 
But you know what's so amazing about them? I mean, they're both so obviously, well, you know, Scott is a Ph.D. and a theologian and a scripture scholar and, like, author of, like, countless books and everything. And Kimberly is a, is a great author in her own right and an incredible mom and teacher. But yet they're so down to earth. They gave the uh, pre-night at the cruise this year, the Good News Cruise, and they were funny. They were down to earth. And they said some things I think that surprised a lot of people about challenges they had in their own marriage. Because you think you look at somebody like a Kim and, uh, uh, and, and Scott, you think, oh, everything was always perfect. But they were very real with people, and that's what you'll find at these events. We're going to talk more with Father Josh Johnson about the Grand Hotel Getaway, the Grand Getaway, Mackinac Island, the Grand Hotel, July 22nd through the 24th, 2024. Father Josh, Father John Mercado, the Hans, and me and Deacon Dom are going to join as well. It's going to be great. We'll have a live broadcast, God willing, from the grandest of hotels, the Grand Hotel on Mackinac. We'll be right back. Family, friends, invited to the annual getaway at the historic Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. It's a great opportunity, as you heard one of our speakers, Father Josh Johnson, mentioned to witness. And the couples and families and individuals who show up and are joyfully witnessing, whether it's the young kids who get out there on the dance floor or the families that are, you know, riding their bikes around or people see us at the hotel. The same thing happens at the cruise, too, where people see us. And the word gets out that there's these crazy Catholics on board, and they're having a lot of fun, and they're really nice people. And, wow, who are they? And what are they? That, to me, is a big, one of the biggest parts. Not only are you helping yourself, but you're witnessing the joy of the Lord to other people, Father. Yeah, it's, it's so beautiful, all the unexpected encounters that happen. I mean, I'll be honest, like when I went on the cruise, the last cruise we went on, uh, I was together it was a couple of years ago. Right. But I, I just met some of the most amazing people who, to this day, I'm very close friends with now because wow. of our time together. Um, and it, it, it's just, it's so beautiful how the Lord uh, just brings together these encounters with people, with disciples of Jesus Christ in different backgrounds, uh, who, who become our great friends, for like lifelong friends afterwards. It's such a gift. Such a gift. Yeah. All right. And I think you know, we were chatting during the break. Right now we're in, the, we're in Lent, and Lent just started. We have a, just finished our first full week of Lent. This is something really, I think, to look forward to. I mean, we do have activities and retreats and what uh, we try to do during Lent, but this is a, a different type of an event, a celebratory event. And, but this is what God, God calls us to do both. It's not just one extreme or the other, right? We feast and we fast. Right. We feast and fast. Because we're, we're, we're disciples of Jesus Christ, and we imitate Jesus. And he both spent time at the wedding of Cana, and they partied, and we know they partied because they ran out of wine. Right. So clearly, the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples knew how to, how to party. But, but he also spent 40 days in the desert, right, prayer and fasting, being ministered by angels and being tempted by Satan. And so uh, we have to live out the entirety of life of Christ. We can't pick and choose what aspects we'll live. We live out the whole life of Christ and our walk toward eternity. What are you hearing, not only from your seminarians, Father, uh, but also from your prisoners about their concerns right now in, in terms of why it's important for them to make sure they're, they're built up faith-wise? You know, the, the biggest thing I'm hearing right now, and we just had a council this past week in my, in my own diocese, is there seems to be, the, the, the pulse that I'm perceiving and I'm hearing is our people in general are more rooted in politics than in the gospel. Ah. And so we have like a need to do a much better job evangelizing and really like walking with people in the interior life so that way they can like really believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient and that that the gospel should dictate our discernment and the gospel should dictate our decisions and the gospel should dictate our actions as opposed to being um, political parties. And I feel like right now we're seeing, uh, especially politically coming up, but a lot of people are just focusing way more on humans and on platforms and not on the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Well, you look yeah. at the gospel for today, right? I mean, it says it all. Well, I, you know, I'm doing my math after the interview, so I haven't seen the gospel for today. So well, it's gospel? about, you know, the, about, you know, if you love me, you, you, will, you will serve people. You will feed my sheep. You will you know, do, oh, do all this. That God's, you know, it's a corporal and spiritual works of mercy, it, it, and this is what we're asked to do. And there's this really cool song that I can't get out of my head that I heard, and it's, this artist is one of my new favorites, but Danny Gokey, who performed at the March for Life this year, it's called Love God and Love People. And it's about, you know, loving God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving your neighbor as yourself, which was basically the gospel today. And this is where we have to start. And I get into some interesting conversations with people about this. The same thing you just mentioned, where people are so trying so hard to separate the truth of the gospel in, in terms of maybe they might have to vote differently. 
right? Mm-hmm. To, to break away from whatever it be, right or left, in order yeah. to really embrace who they are as Christians. It's very, very interesting. And you say, well, wait a minute, you're not starting from the right point. What does Jesus say? What does the church say? Yes, and, and, and that's the thing is that I think that a lot of us, I say us and people in general, Christians in general, we just don't know uh, what the Word of God actually says. We don't actually spend time with the Word of God in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And, uh, and thank God for my, for my Schmidt and introducing so many people to the Word of God to the Bible in the year and the Catechism in the year. But, like, we've got to be so rooted in, in those books and things the Bible. Oh, my goodness. Like, the Bible is the infallible, inspired, inerrant Word of God. And it's a God's letter to us. And how many of us just totally ignore the Bible? And we don't know anything about the Bible uh, we know so much about politics, but we don't know the, the church's teachings. I mean, the church's teachings are so beautiful, and if we were just immerse ourselves in them, then it really would ch- it would change this, the, the the world. We could actually build a civilization of love. Uh, we're in the gospel, but so many times we don't do that. We don't start there. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's so important. You talk about loving God and loving people real quick. Um, I have a quote in my office from Dorothy Day. Mm-hmm. I summer about Dorothy Day. <laughs> it's a very painful quote to look at every day. Uh, she said, um, I only love God as much as I love the person who I like the least. Mm. Every time I read that, I'm so convinced. Somebody say, Jesus, I say I love you, but like, who's that person that I don't like? I, I gotta love them better. I gotta love them better. I've gotta be merciful to them. I've gotta be forgiving toward them. I've gotta go and serve them. I've gotta, I gotta go spend time with them. Um, cause, because the way I, I, I treat people who I can see, is the way I'm ultimately treating God, you know, like yeah. yeah. You know, it's so interesting that you should say that because in this year, right, this is an election year, and there's so much division, not only in the country and in the world, mm-hmm. but, but in the church as well. And, and that's why these, these events are so beautiful because it brings together so many people, and we're so joyful, and that's the way we're a joyful witness to the Lord. And the joy, Father, I think is huge as well. Yeah, you know, I, I perceive in prayer, again, my prayer is not valuable, so... I could discern, I have to discern this actually, but I did perceive in prayer a few weeks ago, and I've been sitting with Simpson. Uh, whenever we get closer to like October, November election time, uh, I, I, I perceive that the Lord said, "Josh, I want you to host um, like holy hours and and days of fasting for all the candidates and mm. for their conversion, for them to become saints." Because if you look at someone like Saint Paul, Saint Paul before he became the saint years. Like, he wasn't the best person, and Moses wasn't the best person. Moses killed people, St. Paul killed people, uh, David was responsible for the death of Bathsheba's husband. Mm-hmm. But David wasn't after God's own heart. St. Paul wrote the majority of the Bible, the New Testament. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And so, like, imagine if we could get back from all the world to commit to holy hours um, and, and days of penance and fasting for whoever the person is that's going to win the election to become a saint. To have a profound encounter with Jesus Christ in the sacraments of the church before the Eucharist, and to be solely devoted to like being a holy leader. Because I, I just read the story of, of a woman named Saint Olga, and she was uh, she was the queen who uh, who her husband was killed, and so she went crazy, and she first killed the people who killed her husband, and then she invited their families over for dinner and killed all their families, and then she was filled with so much irrational wrath that she went to the whole village and burned the whole village down. So she was just like she was. Uh, a bad person, and eventually a Catholic encountered her, and she converts to faith. And even though she wasn't able to convert her son, she was able to get her grandson to become a disciple. And her, her grandson, who became the king, ended up making their entire town a Catholic uh, community. And I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like, imagine if we could have uh, a leader in office in America who isn't just like a good person, but lives a life that is canonizable." We've never had a canonized president in the United mm. States in our history. Imagine if you have a president who eventually, after he or she dies, becomes a canine saint. Wouldn't wow. that be amazing? Yeah. And that's what we got to pray for. And I, I believe that it's possible because when I look at the Bible, I see it all throughout Scripture. Look at the saints. I see it all throughout their lives. And so, but yeah. Um, and maybe you could join this campaign with me if it's of the Lord and we can just encourage Catholics all over the country to serve this gospel about people. It's like, this crazy fascinating to be saints. And also something really to think about, and maybe you can bring this up at the Grand Hotel Getaway, because we'll be getting closer to the election, right? Because this is at the end of July. Grand Getaway for 2024, Mackinac Island at the Grand Hotel. Father Josh Johnson, our guest this morning, Father John Mercado, Kim and uh, Kimberly Hahn and Scott Hahn, and Deacon Domini, and many more. So check it out, ctscentral.net, or on our travel page at avemariaradio.net. We'll be right back.
back at The Connection on a busy Monday morning, February 19th. I've had the opportunity to not only interview, but uh, meet Chris on many occasions. Chris Fattis does a great job with Solidarity Healthcare. He's the president. And Chris, I can't help but think, and I'm really glad that we're talking about this today because there's so many stories in the news about the pressure that health uh, insurers and also families and, and different medical uh, areas, medical facilities are feeling because of this push for so-called gender-affirming care. Just that, just that term alone, Chris, is so deceiving. It's just like, oh, pro-choice or reproductive health care. So what's happening in terms of, and I know you were just at a, at a conference talking about this, what's happening in terms of making people aware of this, especially in the healthcare industry? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Teresa. Great to talk to you again. You know, one of the things that's happening, which is which is great news, I, I believe, is that you know the truth is finally really being put out there. You know, the the Academy, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics just put out a, a study which to, took a review at 60 studies on gender affirming, as you you know, quotes uh, therapies and whether or not they actually are effective and, and what the actual effects are, and it found that it actually is. Uh, the gender-affirming treatments don't benefit youth, says the group, and also uh, has irreversible consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it found even facts that some of the studies that are being cited to say that these gender therapies are helping youth, actually, when you look at the data, say the opposite. One study said that suicidal ideation was down in youth who had gender-positive gender uh, treatment, as, as opposed to the truth, when you look at the actual data, shows that it was double the suicidal ideation from, from these same youth when they, when they had the gender therapy. So luckily, physicians are speaking out. They're starting to actually put the news out there, the word out there about this. And um, I, I would say this is good news because hopefully it's the beginning of the end of this uh, disaster. Well, what's interesting, and I always tell people when you're looking at surveys or any type of studies to consider the source and see who benefits from it, what's interesting about what the American College of Pediatricians did, and they're known as the more conservative versus the American Academy of Pediatrics, which I believe has lost its way, unfortunately, in many issues. But in terms of the studies that they reviewed, they were in studies from you know, super uber conservative you know, medical experts. These were just the general studies that were out there, right, the information that was out there and available. Yeah, the, and these are some of the very studies that the, that the left has used to cite uh, saying that, you know, these, these therapies are good. Because, again, like you said, they, they take these studies and they, they make them say what you want. But when you actually look at the data, when you actually boil it down, um, you know, you really have to see what's there. And, that, and these, these studies, it was over 60 studies that they reviewed uh, that they, you know, took a, a fine-tooth comb to actually see what, what do these studies tell us. Uh, and the reality is what we've seen from other places, just like in, in the U.K., where they closed their gender right. clinic that was funded by the government and was so far advanced. They closed it because of very similar data that showed there was little to no effect and, in fact, more harmful effects by the therapies that they were promoting. And also the fact that many of these kids were being led into these therapies when they just had simple psychological issues that just needed good counseling and therapy. And then we heard the congressional testimony last summer of experts such as Dr. Miriam Grossman, but then many young people who are detransitioning, and they were not given the psychological examinations and the assessments that they were promised, right? These places that are still doing this so-called gender-affirming care or surgery, whatever you want to call it, you know, that's the semantics that they're using. They're rushing them through on the medications. I don't want to call them medications, but on the puberty blockers and these other dangerous things, and then pushing them through the surgery. And that's actually what's causing a lot of these whistleblowers to speak up because they believed that they were going into, especially the place you mentioned in Great Britain, they believed they were doing good. They believed in the cause. They thought they were helping young people. And they thought that the place where they were working was going to provide really good psychological care and really examine these people to see if they truly struggled with gender dysphoria or if it was something else, but they found that they were just rushed through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes even further than that, Teresa, where we have what we're seeing is that people, you know, adolescents are coming to a counselor, a psychologist, or even a school counselor with simple, simple issues like, I feel alone, I feel abandoned. I don't feel like myself. I don't know who I am, right? The, the, the same thing that you and I would just call junior high, mm-hmm. right, is, is being used to manipulate these kids into uh, these therapies. And that's coming out more and more, including in some of the studies that came out of the U.K. clinics, 
um, and others that, that these, they're being not only rushed through it, but even led to it when that wasn't what they came with. They didn't say, I feel like a boy or I feel like a girl. They said, I feel alone and abandoned. And they, they're being, those things are being led the wrong direction. Instead of getting good quality psychological help, and then on top of it, when you look at some of these therapies, especially the hormone therapies, the, the cognitive function that is affected by these interventions and using these high doses of hormones on, on boys and girls is affecting their mental development as well. It's affecting mm-hmm. their brain during the most important time of development in adolescence. Their brain's not yet formed. It's not finalized. It's not done. And yet we're cooking it with something that is going to affect that. And it's, it, it is actually causing further mental mental health issues and, and honestly what it seems might be even longer lasting mental health issues uh, than they had before. So Chris, what effect is this having then with all of this happening because this is very expensive stuff we're talking about with, with, with the drugs and with the surgeries. What impact and also the political pressure is this having on the healthcare industry do you think? Well, on, on one side, it's certainly raising costs. I mean, if you look at what, what the Obama, I'm sorry, excuse me, the Biden administration is, is proposing right now with Section 1557 rules, they're going to enforce a rule that would, would require insurances to pay for these kind of procedures and therapies. Uh, so that's going to increase costs. On the other side of it, it's actually increasing profit because it is a massive profit center for hospital systems uh, and these gender clinics, um, you know, for them. So it's a whole, whole new revenue stream that wasn't there five or six years ago. Uh, and so, you know, that obviously might, might seem like a benefit to them, but it greatly affects you and I because it will affect for if you're on, if you're on regular private insurance, uh, employer insurance, whatever, whatever type of insurance you're on. And certainly even, um, you know, even the affordable care act exchange plans will be affected by these costs because they're going to now be boiled in to your plan. So if you're not getting these therapies, you have no interest in these therapies, it's going to, it's going to affect you. Right. Uh, right. And, and I think, again, it's also affecting the consciences of these doctors who are being forced, who are, they're, you know, looks like they're going to be forced to participate in these things. We're talking with Chris Fattis, the president of Solidarity Healthcare, about the impact of the uh, transgender agenda on healthcare and on our country in general. So we know information is starting to come out, as you just mentioned, with the American College of Pediatricians. We had that, that big uh, congressional testimony uh, event that took place over several days last summer. We're seeing more people over in Europe who are very pro so-called gender-affirming care who are going public now and, and leaving that uh, area of practice and speaking out about what's happening to the young people. But in the meantime, in the United States in so many ways, we seem to be going, you know, fast forward. I did a story in CatholicNewsAgency.com has this on their website today, Chris, about a family in Indiana that had to go to the Supreme Court. They just filed with the Supreme Court because the state took their son away because they were trying to get him therapy for what they thought were other underlying issues, and the state said, no, he's transgender and you're harming him, and they took him out of his home, and they had to go to the Supreme Court. So it seems to be still full speed ahead in the U.S., yeah, it really does, and, and I think it's it's obviously driven by by a very ideological um, bent. Because every time you see these studies come out, you you know you see them hidden, or like we talked about, you see them you know the data manipulated, and so you know there there is definitely a push. I don't know why. I mean, we typically are behind Europe and, and Canada on these progressive you know policies, um, and, and I don't know why we wouldn't take the heed the warning from right. several countries in Europe who have backed off. Uh, but we're continuing, and, and 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 again, you know, Section 1557, the the non-discrimination rules that the Biden administration has proposed, they held off on on releasing the final rule um, for over a year now, which was which is kind of surprising. But it looks like that's coming any day now. We, we I was talking to friends in in our world in D.C. recently, and they just said, yeah, we're we're expecting it the end of this month or next month. So they're still planning to push forward this agenda. Um, and, and I don't know why. You, you should be looking at the data. That's, can we have the benefit of the data coming from these other countries? Let's take it. Let's learn from it. And let's not make the same mistakes that are, that are destroying some of these children's lives. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, where do we find out more about the great work you're doing and how we can make a difference in this area? Yeah, definitely visit us at SolidarityHealthShare.org. Um, and also, uh, Teresa, visit us at the Solidarity Foundation, which is where we're furthering this work in other areas of healthcare. SolidarityHealthFoundation.com. Appreciate you, Chris. Thanks so much for giving us an update. And again, uh, Solidarity Health Share. One more time with the website. Healthshare.org.
All right, Chris, thank you so much. Wishing you a peaceful and a fruitful Lent. And we'll be right back, wrapping up our Monday, as we always do, with our Scripture Verse of the Week. Before we do that, speaking of science and really good, helpful information, and to, in addition to what Chris just shared, I want to tell you about this beautiful book, which you can find, of course, at EWTNRC.com. New Scientific Evidence for the Existence of God by Jose Carlos Gonzalez Hurtado. This is a book you need to challenge atheists and agnostics and to learn more about the existence and the amazing God that we serve. We'll be right back. New Scientific Evidence for the Existence of God. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically own shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Modern philosophers Kierkegaard, Shelley, Sartre proposed the idea that existence precedes essence by which they meant, in simpler terms, that in the process of time we make or create who and what we are. We understand, of course, that there are those who believe that their doing has been more successful than that of others, and have consequently argued that their being is on a higher state than that of others. This is the kind of thinking that leads to genocide, gas chambers, and abortion clinics. However, folks like Barb and Patrick and Paul and Alicia believe that from the beginning human essence is divinely ordered and infinitely valuable. And where else can we state this more clearly than our defense of preborn children, who cannot prove themselves or justify themselves? They can only be, which is why they are so precious to one named I Am. Go to GuadalupeWorkers.org. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Wrapping up on Monday, as we always do, with the Bible-aided Gail Buckley in our Scripture Verse of the Week. Gail, this is very interesting that you chose Numbers 1538, and it's related. You wanted to help people understand what they're seeing in the very popular series, The Chosen, correct? That's right. Uh, the verse today, it says, Speak to the people of Israel and bid them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put upon the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. Hmm. And like I said, Teresa, I chose this because, you know, a lot of people are watching that series that chose, I just love it. And, and you know, I thought some people might wonder why Jesus and his apostles had these cords that look like strings hanging off of their tunics. So I wanted to explain it today for some of those that might not know what they are. And it concerns the commandment from God. You know, when the Hebrew people were journeying through the desert uh, to the promised land, God said to Moses, our verse today, Speak to the people of Israel and bid them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put upon the tassel at each corner a cord of blue. Then he went on to say, Teresa, that you should look at it and recall all the commandments of the Lord and observe them so that you do not follow your heart and eyes in your lustful urges. So these tassels were meant, you know, not only to remind the Israelites of God's commandments but and to keep them, but also it would become a sign to the world that and to themselves that God had set them apart for devotion to him alone. You know, remember in um, Exodus 6, I believe it is, um, he said, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. So these tassels are called tizzits. And the blue cord is called tequila. Hmm. And tequila is a shade of blue that we might call it royal blue. But anyway, the Jewish people refer to this tequila blue as God's chosen color. And according to several rabbinic um, sages, this blue is the, God, the color of God's glory. They also um, believe that the color blue repels evil. Hmm. And uh, the Kellett blue is also the color on the Jewish flag. So if you want to see ah, what color that's it is. that's right. Blue and white. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Blue and yeah. white. Right. That's a color to Kellett. 
So, you know, today these uh, devout Jewish men still wear the tizits, and some, some women almost also wear them, but it's mostly men. And because the style of clothing is different now, it's kind of hard to put those on the bottoms of their their pants and also so they'll usually wear them on a prayer shawl or either the 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 bottoms of their shirts and some men will you know um instead of wearing them outside will tuck them inside or or you know tuck them into their pockets or wrap them even around their belts and i just thought this would be you know people would find this interesting and if we have another minute there's another thing that happens um that maybe people are wondering what they're doing. They might notice that when the, the, the Jewish men go in and out of doors that they touch the doorpost. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so what that is is they have a little box on the doorpost and that's called a mezuzah. Mezuzah. And a mezuzah mm-hmm. is a little box that has a scripture verse written on it, two scripture verses actually from Deuteronomy, which we don't have time to go into what they are, but basically they're saying the same thing about following the commandments of God and remembering them and teaching them to their children. But um, according to tradition, this uh, is supposed to be on the doorpost of every Jewish home, as well as the entrance of all the doorways inside their home, except for the bathroom. So, and um, so they, it's customary for them to touch this every time they pass through the door and say, um, "Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the Universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to affix a mezuzah." <laughs> and and then they will kiss the fingers that they touch the box with. So I thought that would be interesting for people to know as well. The next time they watch an episode of The Chosen, they'll have a deeper understanding. No, of it, it's beautiful, and I think it's also important And then to go back into Scripture a little bit more about this. And again, we always put the Scripture verse of the week on our archive section at Catholic Connection at yes. AveMariaRadio.net. So Numbers 1538, Numbers 1538, and next time you watch The Chosen, which so many millions of us watch, it's, there's oh, yeah. a little bit of an explanation for you, and hopefully it will because of... This information encourage you to do more scripture study. Gail Buckley, always great to catch up with you. And folks, check out Catholic Social Study International. It's amazing. Talk to you tomorrow on a Tuesday. Ciao, ciao. Have a good day. On Domani. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connections.